You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today is Broker Connect. We'll be doing just one hour today. We have a very special guest that's joining us today, the uh, CEO from Traffix, uh, which is Canada's longest serving third party logistics company. Great history. Uh, Chuck Snow founded the company, uh, still runs it today. But Chuck also has a really busy schedule. So we might have to hold off just a minute or two. We are working on getting him on the line right now. Uh, he literally squeezed us in between um, other meetings he had right down to the minute. So we are working on getting him on right now. All right. It looks like we've got uh, everything lined up and we are going to get started. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is Broker Connect. This is the show where we bring brokers and other industry people on and connect with the owner-operators and small carriers, all in an effort to create better relationships and serve the shipping industry better, to create more value for our ultimate customers so we can get better rates and make a better trucking industry. So we're going to get to your calls in just a little bit, but I have a very special guest today. He is the CEO and founder of Traffix, Canada's longest serving third-party logistics specialist and a, uh, a very important part of our Let's Truck team here. So Chuck, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on. Boy, you know, I, I have got this huge list of notes, all the things I want to talk to you about, and I'm looking at it thinking, boy, you and I will be here for three hours if I go through all this stuff. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun. And, you know, I know you're really busy, but I, I would love to get you on as a regular guest. You could add so much to the show. And You know what? I'd love to do it. I really would, because it gives me an opportunity to give back to an industry that has given my family and I so much. And I want to, I want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about the history because I think it is just an amazing history. But before we get to that, I want to let people know uh, you've been a part of our team here at Let's Truck for many years now. And in a lot of ways, you're a regular guest on some of our other podcasts, um, which is awesome. You bring so much to that. You've been um, not only a sponsor, but more importantly, a, an integral part of the CMC. Now, last year you were doing one-on-ones, um, and I just don't know where else in the trucking industry you could get anything like that. You know, when I first started, I looked everywhere to find somebody to help me be better at what I did, to learn more about, you know, being in business and trucking, and there was nothing. And that's why I created the CMC, but, you know, going back, 12 years ago when I started it, 
I never imagined that I'd be able to get to a point where I had, I had somebody with your level of experience and knowledge and success helping these guys one-on-one. I, I just don't know where else in the industry you could get somebody like you to take that time to work with these guys who are brand new. And we just can't thank you enough for that. I got to tell you, um, I had so much fun last year at the CMC and they were, they were long days. And, and if you remember, they had, some people had booked double and triple times during the day because they wanted to come back for more. And the time I spent last year in council bluffs just went by so quickly. And I'm really looking forward to this year's event. Um, you know, I hope we have some, some same people to see how they've done. Uh, I've had the privilege of talking to some of the people that I had a chance to have one-on-ones with in Council Bluffs. Um, and I really had a great honor when one day I was in the, uh, I was actually in my warehouse uh, on the dock and lo and behold, here were, here was one of the guys that I had spent some time with in Council Bluffs, uh, giving him some advice on how to get his business started. And he took almost all the advice I gave him and ran with it. There was one section of the advice he didn't take, and uh, it had to do with financing. But um, overall, he did well, and he's been hauling loads for us and doing a damn good job. So it's a win-win for everybody. That That is so awesome. And like I said, that that kind of time is just gold. I mean, trying to find that is is you know, almost unheard of in most industries. So we absolutely love that. You know, this show, um, we've really been working towards this for quite some time. Um, and, and we'll cover a lot of this stuff over multiple shows because there's so much. But th- this goes back um, to when I started looking at where the industry was going a couple of years ago. And for a long time, I talked many owner operators out of getting their own authority. I watched so many of them fail because they weren't prepared. I watched them fail because it just wasn't a great time in the industry for some guys. And a couple of years ago, I started looking and things are changing. I mean, clearly things are changing. And I thought it's really time. In the 30 years I've been in the industry, I think it's one of the best times I've seen for these one truck guys who have a pretty good handle on their business being leased to somebody if they're willing to do some of the work, I think it's an awesome time to go out and get their own authority and become a carrier. And, and we're building shows around that. You've been on Rico's show many times. He does an awesome job of, you know, what's going on with rates and lanes. And he's down in the trenches every day, like you are still down in the trenches. Um, Kenny talks about, you know, getting the authority and compliance and day-to-day stuff. And I looked at it and thought, we need kind of a big picture show to solve some of the problems that I see in the industry. And one of the biggest is the antagonistic relationship between brokers and small carriers. It is amazing to me the way they talk about each other. I, I just don't know many industries where people talk about their customers or their vendors that way. It's just awful, I think. Um, and I had a call not long after we launched the show, I think we had done two shows, and I had to call. I'm going to send this to you. I have the recording, and I actually wrote up a big blog post about it because it really epitomizes the problem and, and what I hope to fix with this show. I had a guy call me, and he's very sincere, 
And he said, look, he said, I'd like your new show, Broker Connect. He said, but you can't let those brokers come on the air and talk about customer service. And I said, well, why not? That's the whole point. We're trying to provide better value and better service to the shipping community. And he said, well, I don't even think he was listening to what I said because he said, well, th all they do is talk. There's no customer service there. It's just talk. And he, he was just, I could sense the frustration and the anger, but I didn't know where he was coming from yet. And, and I, I was confused. Um, it, but he just kept saying, you can't let them come on the show. And I started to get angry because one, he was telling me how to run my show. And two, I couldn't <laughs> figure out what he was talking about. But I said, wait a minute. Not all brokers provide good customer service or value. In fact, most don't, but that's just most businesses that I see. I said, but I'm not concerned about the average or what most people are doing. I said, I want to get down to that 1%, the really outstanding companies that know how to provide value. That's what we're shooting for. And I said, I know brokers who are absolutely, and he just kept saying, no, they're not. They don't provide me any service. And then it clicked. And I stopped him and I said, wait a minute, there's your problem. Why would they provide you customer service? You are not their customer. And he said, oh, yes, I am. I pay them. And I said, wait a minute. I've been doing this a long time and I've been doing accounting for a lot of you guys. I have yet to find a check that you wrote to the broker. I said, it's real clear who the customer is in a relationship. Who's cashing whose check? And I said, the broker pays you. That makes them your customer. I was talking about customer service to the shipper. And I said, if you want to provide good value to your customer, the broker, that's what this show is all about. The two of us coming together, talking away from the negotiation and, and really coming up with ways to provide more value to the shipper, the ultimate customer that pays all of our bills. And he just... Uh, he was so angry and frustrated, he just didn't want to hear it. Uh, but that that's really a problem that I've seen in this industry for a long time. It's huge. Uh, there's that mistrust on both sides. And and you'll, you'll find that mistrust because one of them, first of all, an awful lot of the business is transactional. And that's where the mistrust is, where you have actual relationships between brokers and carriers and carrier could be somebody that has one truck or somebody that has 20 trucks or 30 trucks. But when those people have relationships, it's just like any other relationship. Wonderful things happen. And when you have it as, you know, I want $5 more, I want a hundred dollars more for this. And you're holding the, the broker out or the broker's holding you out, vice versa. That's not making for a good relationship. It's making for a one transaction. So we both, both sides of the party need to get beyond that. Now, I think in, in fairness to the brokerage industry, the brokerage industry, although it's not brand new, it's fairly new. Um, you know, C.H. Robinson, they've been around for, you know, for a hundred years, but there weren't a lot of C.H. Robinsons around when I got into, originally got into the trucking industry back in, you know, 1974. And once I started traffics, there were a whole bunch of brokerage houses that started up in the USA. And they started up because there was a need in the marketplace for them to fulfill. And 
when I got into trucking back in uh, originally in 74, and even when I started traffics, an awful lot of times the roughness from the carriers to their customers allowed the brokerage industry to prosper. And it wasn't just the way the phones were answered. It was how long it took to get a, uh, to get a rate from some of the trucking companies. It took forever. It was a deregulated industry. And as deregulation happened originally in the U S and then in Canada, the brokerage industry blossomed. And let me jump in real quick. I've got to get to a break. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back because this is good stuff. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Broker Connect. I've got the CEO and founder of Traffics with me today, and he is sharing gold. And this, this is such great stuff, Chuck. It, you know, I, I've talked about the history and, and what I can remember of deregulation and what I studied and read. I kind of grew up around trucking, and um, I, I was just getting out of high school, and deregulation was kind of getting started here in the U.S., and it's surprising how we're, we're losing that generation that even remembers what it was. Uh, and, and most drivers and owner operators today don't understand what a stark difference it was from that world to what we know today. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Night and day. Um, and, and when I tell people what we went through uh, and part of traffic's steep history is is around the fact that we fought regulation here in Ontario. Now, Ontario and Canada did not deregulate as fast as America did. Um, and how trucking worked prior to deregulation is the licenses that trucking companies held were viable and valuable assets. And, and they were worth, uh, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars. Because those licenses allowed them Look, to move material uh, from point A to point B. License to Chuck, let me stop you there. Because I, I want you to clarify that for people. Because tens of millions of dollars, we're not talking about the value of the trucking company, their assets, their trailers, their buildings. We're talking about a piece of paper that was worth that much money. Exactly. And, uh, you know, to reiterate that, to... to uh, there was a, a list in the Raymond Corporation's office in Green, New York. I remember going there for a sales call in Green, New York is by Binghampton. And I remember standing in the office waiting to see the traffic manager. And that was about in 1986 or 87. And there was a list of trucking companies in excess. I think they were in excess of either a hundred million or a billion dollars up to in 1970 or something. And out of that list by then, and this is right after deregulation came in, I think there were probably three of the 25 were still in business because they had borrowed money to buy these licenses or to get the licenses. Yeah. Yeah, and I won't even get started on how the government created such a, you know, mess with all of that, but 
that would be another show. Uh, but you brought yeah. me back to part of what, what made me launch this show. And I, I know you'll love this. I, I got invited to speak at Connected last year, which was truckstop.com's conference. And, and I've been to a lot of conferences, as you have. I always learn something. I always meet really interesting people. But this one had such an amazing message. They had some analysts come in and talk about what was going on with the industry and technology and companies like Amazon, you know, that we're not thinking of as trucking companies, but how much influence they're exerting on the market right now. And my brain just started working. But one of the guys talked about a, a clear business cycle that they can show in industry after industry of major disruptions and changes happening about every 30 years. And he went back through and in trucking, it was in the 1920s, the diesel engine, how that just changed everything. And then in the 1950s, the interstate system. And, and I remember my dad and my grandfather talking about, you know, my grandfather was an owner operator when you measured, you know, cross country trips in weeks, not hours the way we do today. Um, without an interstate system, that was quite an adventure to, you know, go across the country in a truck. So the 1950s was the interstate system. The 1980s, what we're talking about right now, deregulation, which I think was the biggest game changer of those three. And then if we look 30 years later, right around 2010, he says we are right in the middle of the major disruption, which this time is technology. 100%. It's everything. It's from how we communicate with drivers. You know, I'm old enough to remember uh, communicating with dispatch with a fistful of dimes that were in my pocket, and you'd have to find a that's payphone. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I remember that well. And you're right, it's everything. Um, autonomous trucks, technology, GPS tracking, uh, you know, things we can't even imagine right now. And, and that was his point that it's easy to look back on this disruption and see, you know, and the other thing he talked about, which is what you just mentioned, companies that we think are giants and will be here forever, many times are the companies that disappear in these disruptions because they're too big to change. And new companies come out of nowhere and, and I was thinking, I was looking at your timeline, you know, you started trucking in 74, you started traffics not long after that. You were a visionary and, and you saw what was happening in that disruption and built a company out of it. Well, I had a choice um, when I got into, well, first of all, I got lucky when I bought my first truck, although it was a bit of a lemon, I bought the truck from a dispatcher that was on with what we called a gypsy company. And we had no licenses. And how we got around it back in those days was we rented or leased the truck to the shipper. And the driver, which was me, worked for a pseudo driver service agency. <laughs> and that's how we circumvented the loss. And we right. got away with it. You drive around some scales. And if you did get pulled into a scale or they stopped you, you had the story all straight. Uh, no, I don't own this truck. And uh, I work for... Uh, for a personnel service, you know, and we had it all down, you know, it was all rehearsed. And then for a little while, I worked for, for a very short period of time, I worked for a, an actual transport company, a licensed transport company. 
and didn't pay nearly as much. And I thought, I'm not doing this stuff. And I made a decision at that point that I thought that the, the whole idea of regulation and buying licenses was not a good investment. And I bet on deregulation way before deregulation happened in the United States or Canada. There was no talk of it. But uh, we decided we would go that way. And we started a gypsy trucking company, and then that morphed into traffics a year later. And when we became a brokerage house, now there were the odd brokerage houses in Ontario. There were probably three or four of them at the time, but they were basement operations. Um, there was one basement operation, and I actually have the gentleman's picture on my credenza. It's probably the only picture uh, of him in the whole world. And there was a, a guy in downtown Toronto that operated probably a, at the time, probably a 10 or $20 million business by himself. Uh, one man, three telephone lines, and two telephones, and he would actually pee in a bottle because uh, he couldn't get away from his desk. <laughs> and he's changed his company name a hundred times since. Uh, he's quite the character, but I learned a lot from him, and I certainly learned how I didn't want to build my business. And we decided we wanted traffics to be able to go into boardrooms and deal with the real transportation buyers. And that's what we did. So at the same time, we got into some trouble with the Ontario Department of Transport, and we actually worked our way up to being their number one public enemy. And <laughs> we fought with them all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. And wow. that cost us, well, it got very expensive. And it cost us, and this was in, the fight started in uh, 1979, and uh, the fight ended around seven years later. And what had happened was we had taken it to the Supreme Court, we had lost, and the, I think the cost for lawyers alone at the time was well over a half a million dollars. And then I had oh. my business partner's time and travel expenses and everything else. So altogether, it was well over a million dollars. Um, wow. And we lost in the Supreme Court. Uh, when the decision came back and I said to the lawyer, I said, well, we need to appeal this. And he said, Chuck, this, you can't appeal a Supreme Court decision. And I said, <laughs> stupid, you don't have to win. I just need time. Have you ever heard of the Hague, the world court? He says, you've lost your marbles. I said, no, I haven't. I just need time, man. Uh, so he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. That's a whole other thing. He said, let's try another case. So we tried another case in a smaller court, and lo and behold, we were found innocent, and they ruled in our favor. And about three days later, I actually got a call from the then Deputy Minister of Transportation for the province, and he said, have you gone to the press yet? And I said, no, not yet. He said, don't, and come to my office and bring your lawyers. So... Uh -oh. Brought our lawyers and our public relations guy we had at the time and my uh, business partner at the time, we all went in there and we had this meeting and they said, so first question was, how much have you guys spent on this so far? And I said, well, you know, including Wally's time and lawyers, we've spent uh, probably well over a billion dollars. He said, that's nothing compared to what we've spent chasing you. He said, listen, we're under the, we're under the gun here, guys you got to make us look good. So let's make a deal. you got to plead guilty to a few charges, and 
we need something just to look good and we'll drop this and what we'll do is we'll never bother you guys again or operating as an illegal trucking company. So I said, okay, charge us uh, one charge of illegal trucking at the highest rate, which is 5,000 bucks. He goes, no, how about 10 at 500? It looks better. <laughs> hey, hold, hold that thought. Got to get to a break again. Uh, but this is great stuff. We're going to come right back. We have lots more. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Broker Connect. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Broker Connect. I've got Chuck Snow with me, the CEO from Traffics. Chuck, I want you to go back to that story. But before I do, I've, I've got to say something. If there were a trucking hall of fame, your bust should be in the front door. You know, there were so many people <laughs> that knew how bad the system was back then, how bad it was, not just for the trucking industry, but bad for the consumer, bad for the economy, bad for everything. Lots of people oh, knew yeah. that, but most people just put up with it. I, I, I've never met anybody else who actually stood up to it and said, we're either going to change this or we're going to go down in flames trying. It was bad. Uh, it was bad from all, uh, from all angles. I got to tell you, when we did sales calls, we used to look for uh, common carriers, trailers in the back door and uh, the shipping door. And we would see these names at the time, uh, may they rest in peace, the St. Johnsbury and the Maeslands and all the rest of them that were predominant up here in Canada. And we would go in the front door, make a sales call, and we would say, uh, I see you've got a, uh, you know, I see you've got a St. Johnsbury uh, trailer in the in the back door. And then, yeah, uh, we import product from New Jersey. And I'd say, well, you know, um, we could do that for you. And they go, well, you couldn't give us the price that they do. And we'd say, Oh, I bet you we could. Um, they say, well, what's your price for a full load? And we'd say, uh, let's say $1,200, which is more than a what it pays now. And they'd say, yeah, but how long does it take? Well, about 12 hours. They go, that's impossible. I'm paying $3,800 and it takes five days. How could you do it for 1200? And I say, watch me. I'll tell you what, give us the first load. And if we don't do a good job, you don't pay me. And, there. We picked up a heck of a lot of customers. I'll bet. I'll bet. And like I said, it was such a, a it was a, it, in some ways, it was the ultimate crony capitalism. Now you had to buy 100%. those licenses. Yeah, but if you had yeah. them, it was a license to print money. It, it, but it was so inefficient for the whole system. And then obviously, the people who made that investment thinking that was the future got stuck with their pants down and that's why they're no longer around. Exactly. But what happened was oddly enough, when deregulation came in and all of a sudden these companies that were used to getting $3,200 uh, for a full truckload from uh, let's say New Jersey or, or Massachusetts up to Toronto, all of a sudden they lost their customer base and their licenses that they had just bought to extend their authority for a million or two million dollars, and they couldn't cover uh, they couldn't cover their debt. 
So they went under and their sales teams actually went into the brokerage business. And that's how the brokerage business, both in the United States and Canada, became so strong. Interesting. Yeah. There are also, you know, there are so many stories like this, um, you know, executives leaving some of those companies and and founding companies that we know of today. Um, Sure. It's just, I I love that history. You know, I, I, I was kind of growing up when those companies were going out of business, you know, just prior to deregulation and then certainly after. And, and my dad worked for many of them. And at one point I thought, geez, every time my dad goes to work for somebody, they go out of business. What's the problem? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just a crazy time. And I, I want people, and I love talking about this just because I love the history of it. And I, most drivers, you know, I, that I talk to when we have shows like this, when we talk about it, we get tons of great feedback. They want to know where the industry came from. But the reason we love history so much is because history does repeat itself. It, it, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and I want people to understand what a crazy time that was with, with companies that we thought were established in there forever, literally disappearing, and new companies like yours, people who could see what was happening while it was happening. The opportunities are amazing. And we're in that time right now. Now, I, I don't 100%. know what, what, what the future is, and, and, but the more we talk about it, the more we look at it, the more we stay focused on it, I think the more chance that we'll see what that opportunity is going to be. Do, do you think we're, we're in that place right now? Oh, yeah. We are right in the middle of the fire. And unfortunately, a lot of us that are involved in the industry don't have a clear vision of where it's going, but there's some young kid who is listening to this or, or, uh, or is involved in one or one of the segments of the industry that's really thinking of where this is going for the future. He's seeing, or she is seeing something that's the next, the next thing. Um, it'll be a technology. It'll be a disruptive technology. Um, Will it be autonomous trucks? Maybe that's part of it, but you're still going to need drivers. There's something, um, you know, there's, there's other things happening and it's all happening so quickly. You know, you look at how far we've come in the last 10 years in trucks. Is it the type of trucks? Is it having trucks that are, uh, you know, run by electric or hydrogen or whatever? Are we going to get away from the diesel? Um, are they going to be, a, you know, go the way of the dodo burp? That's very possible. But that's what makes this thing so exciting, and that's why I'm hanging on, is because I want to be there for the change. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome to be uh, to make it through two major disruptions to to get started yeah. because <laughs> on it and through the next. So I, I'm rooting for you, and and uh, you know who would have thought just five years ago that we would have been talking about companies like Amazon and Uber as, as leaders in trucking. And, and that yeah. may very well happen. Oh, yeah, uh, very much so. Now, one of the things that I really do believe is, you know, there's an awful lot of talk out there about removing the relationship from the transaction. 
Okay, so that, and these big companies do it all the time and they, they put out these RFQs, requests for pricing, or requests for quote, and, and they really don't want you to uh, have a lot to do with their logistics team. They want it all to be done without any type of relationship. Unfortunately, that only works until something goes sideways. And the <laughs> yeah. second anything goes sideways, then you need the relationship to fall back on. Absolutely. You know, the other thing, and, and I, um, back in the late 80s, I, I decided I, I was running a couple trucks under my own authority. I wanted to try the broker thing. Um, I found a guy that was kind of running a pseudo little broker school. You, you paid him and you went and, you know, made coffee and cleaned up the office all week so you could hang around and teach you how to broker. Um, and I remember then it was such a weird thing because this was the late 80s. Nobody really knew what the internet was yet, but I had actually been on the internet for a couple of years prior to that. And I remember booking my ticket to go to Wisconsin on a system called Easy Saber, which was only used by travel agents prior to that, but they had just opened it up to the public. And I thought this was the most amazing technology ever. I sat at my computer and I booked a plane ticket. And I got out there and, and I was talking with this, uh, the guy who owned this brokerage about this. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, I'm already working on software that's going to replace me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'm no different than a travel agent. Travel agents just move people around. I move freight around. It's just, my, my job's limited. I'm going to be replaced by technology and I want to be a part of that. And, and I thought he was a visionary. I thought, wow. This guy really gets it and he, you know, sees that his job is on the line. Well, here we are um, 30 years later and brokers are more important than ever. Of course. And they will continue to be because part of the thing that's going on, and, and I'm sure you're, you've got the numbers, is the number of small carriers. I think there's a, a hundred carriers in the United States that are of any size. That's in your entire country. The rest, yes. the other... Uh, the other carriers are all from, I think, one to 20 or one to 30 trucks, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. It's a huge and number. That's right. And those people need to work with brokers in most cases. Now, you you have some that are, you know, they've got their own customer base that they've been able to uh, develop through the years for one reason or another. Either they're really good salespeople or perhaps they have specialized equipment you know, pneumatic tanks or hoppers or whatever. For the rest of the smaller carriers, it, their forte is running trucks, not selling. Selling is a whole different thing, especially today. It, it's, become, it's become a little bit more difficult uh, with I, the invention of voicemail. I've, I've got to get to a break. I've talked about that many times. We're going to come back because there's so much more I want to talk about. Um, I, I've said that exact thing, that... The reason many small carriers fail is because they don't understand how different sales is. And, and I think that if you want to be really successful, whether you're selling to a broker or to a shipper, sales is sales, and you've got to get good at it if you want to be really successful and get the better rates and relationships. We're going to talk about that and more right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
All right, real quick before we head into our final segment, uh, Chuck and I could do this for hours. I'd love to. We're going to get him to come back, and you all heard it. He said he would. Um, we're going to make him a regular. There's so much knowledge that he has that I want him to share with you. Uh, but right now, if I will try to make room for one or two questions. It, you've got to have something you want to ask Chuck. So if you do, jump in, press one on your phone right now, and uh, we will get to one or two questions before we wrap this up. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is Broker Connect. I'm talking with Chuck Snow, the CEO from Traffics. And Chuck, this is a, an interesting kind of phenomenon I've noticed. I, I do a lot of different shows now. We, we've been doing a lot more specialty shows. So I have, you know, the general show on the weekend where people can ask me anything they want. We have our health show, which has just exploded. And we love that. We do a maintenance show on Tuesdays. We get tons of calls and questions. And when we started this show, Broker Connect, and again, it's to build better relationships, get brokers and carriers talking away from the negotiation. Uh, how do we provide more value? How do we you know, find all the opportunities in this disruption we're in? Um, the interesting thing is we set some records for number of calls into the show when we're recording, but we're getting almost no question. And I thought, what's going on? We're usually so slammed with questions that I can't, I never get to them all. And then it dawned on me. Sometimes you're at a point where you don't even know what you don't know. And you're not to a point where you can even formulate a good question yet. And, and I think that's what's happening. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Rico and I have that sometimes on the rates and lanes podcast. It's the same thing. Uh, we have all sorts of listeners, but they're, they just don't have questions because they don't, they don't grasp some of it. It, it. it should be the opposite. We should be so flooded with questions because this is an area where there is so much for these guys to learn. And, but it finally dawned on me. It, it's not that they don't need to learn this stuff or, or want to know it. They're, they're not to a place yet where they can even formulate a good question. And I think that just tells us how much education we need in this industry. I, I, I would love to see more people be able to do what you did so many years ago, to take that one truck and, and grow it if that's what they want to do. And I know a lot of guys do. I hear it from them all the time. I hear it over and over and over. Uh, but there's so little education. Um, you know, some people are able to figure it out on their own through just trial and error, or just pure grit and determination, which I'm sure is how you got started. There, there was no education then. Um, there isn't there now. Less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? We didn't have a Kevin Rutherford when I started. It was, you know, if you were lucky, somebody gave you some advice. And a lot of times it wasn't good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we certainly have lots of that flying around today. Lots of advice. <laughs> really good advice. Um, you know, it, it's again, I, I love talking about the history and, and you were there. You saw what was coming. You you took such a huge risk so many times. 
and paid off. But, you know, looking back over the history of your company and what you talked about when you were getting started, uh, something you've developed that that hasn't changed, it's just gotten better, is your company culture, which just you feel it. The minute I spend time with you or, or see anything about your company, you just have an amazing culture. And that that's something I've always studied and admired in all companies, it, in all industries as well. And, and I don't see much of that in trucking. And I hate to say that because I love this industry, but I don't see a lot of that culture that you've created. I think some of the smaller guys have been pretty good at doing it. The I'm going to call them uh, boutique carriers and some of the brokerage houses. Have been, they've done a fairly good job. It becomes very difficult to hang on to company culture when you get too big. Uh, something I've noticed, uh, you know, recently in March, we opened up in Chicago and we were able to hire some phenomenal sales talent. And some of the sales talent came from organizations where there had been mergers and acquisitions. And what happened was these people that had worked for these companies for some of them for over a decade, they loved those companies and they had such great cultures. But when the company merged with another company or was acquired by another company, it got too big and the culture was lost. So that's what you have to watch out for when you're when you're growing is that you don't lose your culture along the way because your your company culture is the it is the glue that keeps it together. It's it's what keeps the phone ringing. Absolutely. And and keeps employees loyal and and customers loyal and keeps providing value year after year to to everybody you touch and and including us at Let's Truck. And I just again, I I'm so appreciative of that, that you've taken that time to to share your knowledge and experience with us. And you do it with our listeners and our our attendees at the CMC. Want to take a call? Sure, let's do it. All right, let's talk to Rod in California. Rod, go ahead. You're on with Chuck Snow. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my phone call. Uh, my question is in regards to, you know, the finding the broker. I'm 54 years old. I've been an owner-operator all my life, been in agriculture. Uh, you know, in the 80s, I did livestock, hopper trailers, high boys. Then uh, we also did hopper trailers, high boys, step decks. I'm doing step decks now as a lease operator. But how do you find the proverbial trustworthy broker? There's always, and again, I've never gone to school for education other than my grade 12s. School of hard knocks is what I have attended. I've lost a few dollars. I've made a few dollars and along the way. And I'm just trying to figure out where that trustworthy broker is at. And I, I get the part about building the relationship. There's a lot of them out there. Well, I think you'd look around where you, the first place I would look, see who operates out of the area where you live. Do you run long distance or do you, uh, do you run regional? Uh, long distance is what I do. And you go from where to where? Oh, Alberta into California, Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, all over. Well, what I would do is I would uh, talk to some of the brokers in Alberta and see what they have to offer. And then I would 
talk to brokers on the other end in Louisiana or California or Texas on the other end and let them all do sales calls there. You start on the phone because brokers will take your sales call. It's not like phoning a shipper. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you'll do a lot better if you can. No, you're hauling a reefer, I take it, are you? No, now I'm doing step decks. Step deck? You may do really well with step decks hauling between Texas and Alberta rather than going all over the place. Uh, One of the things that's going to happen in the next little while, I think you'll see with ELDs, it's going to be more difficult to just run all the places we historically ran. And if I can give you some advice, because we we have assets as well, you're much better off if you're going to work with brokers and you want to develop that relationship. Pick a lane. And maybe it's not Texas. Maybe it's Louisiana. You know your business better than I do. But pick... Pick a lane you want to run and be good at it and let the broker community on both ends know that you're the person to call if they have something out of Alberta and out of, let's say, Louisiana or Texas. And if you treat those brokers with respect and you call them or you uh, email them or text them when you're loaded and how you're going along on your trip and when you're unloaded, they'll come back for more. I promise. Great advice, Chuck. A couple things I I, I want to say there um, again because I know some guys are are just not, you know, is involved in this. When when you said we have assets, I, I, I'm sure there are some people out there that either miss that or don't understand what that means. You're you're a brokerage, but when when you say we have assets, that means equipment, right? Trucks and trailers. Yeah, we have trucks and trailers. We are a carrier as well as a um, as well as a load broker run about 50 exactly. pieces of equipment. Yeah. So the other thing, that, and I get this a lot, um, people, because I am big, big, big on building relationships in business, everything, not not just with customers or vendors, but you need a good mechanic. You need a good shop. You need a good tire guy. There's so many people that you need to run a really successful business. And it's all about building those relationships. Not only is that good for business, I think it's good for us as people. That, that connection is important. Um, what I get many times is somebody will call me and say, well, I called this broker and I really wanted to build a relationship and it just didn't work. You're just wrong. You can't build. Re-. And I said, how many times did you try that? Well, you know, once or twice. And I said, well, it might take 50. And that's not an exaggeration. I, I, we're not looking to build a relationship with everybody. There are lots of companies I don't want anything to do with. I don't want a relationship with them. I may not know till I try. And it doesn't mean they're a bad person or a bad company. It just might not be the right fit. I'm, I, you know, it took me years in some places. I moved my trucks around a couple of times, moved my whole business. And it would take me sometimes years to build those relationships. Of course. Well, boy, there's the music. That time flew by. Chuck, I'm going to hold you to it. I want you to come back. I look forward to it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much for making time on short notice today. And we will get you back on and uh, we'll let everybody know when that's going to happen. We'll try to give everybody a little more warning. We're still in the early stages of putting this all together, but uh, there's a lot of potential here. So thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you next time. Be safe.
be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.